So we were, Tyler and I were uh, laughing about, not laughing, but joking about our uh, all-girl band, except for, of course, Neil, which we're really thankful for. Thank you. Uh, no, I mean thankful for the band, not just for Neil. <laughs> but uh, we were talking about what, what, you know, is that like the Bengals? Or who, who is it? You know, I, I, was, I was going back to heart. Feeling that? I just, uh, some of you, I, I told I think a couple weeks ago that my daughter and I were going to head to uh, Chicago to go to a conference on justice, which is the call to the church, to believers, to uh, relieve the burdens of people who cannot relieve them for themselves. Around, from right here in our town on out to the ends of the earth, from issues uh, like from human trafficking to hunger, uh, any kind of issue where people cannot provide for themselves uh, the basic rights of human beings. The church, engaging the church in that. And I heard some incredible stuff. I'll unfold for you, you know, over the coming weeks. Uh, one of the women uh, there, some of y'all have heard of her. Her name's Ann Voskamp. And some of you read her blog. She's pretty amazing lady. But she was just a small part of the conference, but she said something that really stuck out to me. And it was, it was this. And her, her little, the little last thing that she said, uh, she was was talking about what the church and believers need to do. Somebody just asked her that straight up, and she said, the church has got to care like a boss. Okay? Did you ever use that when you are a kid? If you're old enough, you said, hey, like a boss. Right? We did, you know, you do that like the very best thing you could ever do. You do it like a boss. The church has got to care like a boss. We have to be known for that. And it's, you know, just a little quip and, and all that. It just really resonated for some reason with me. This church has got to care like a boss and start in this town. We can't do it right here. We don't need to be doing it in Africa. We have to care like a boss right here. Each one of us. So we had a great time. Uh, she, you know, she's 16. She just turned 16. And we haven't really been on a trip together before like that. We were about a week in Chicago. and It was awesome. Uh, but uh, the thing, the, the thing that's you know, it's a big turning point when you turn 16. I just want to warn you guys, she drives. So watch out. She's driving. Okay? This is a warning. See that forerunner in town, you need to just pull over. Let her go by. So, yeah, we're talking this this coming series during the summer. We're going to be talking about calling. And looking at that from, uh, if you were to look up the idea of calling in the Scripture, in the the Bible, you would see that it runs from the very beginning all the way through. Because God is constantly calling the people who follow him to new things. So you can think about that for a few minutes, but just look it up in the Scripture or or just begin to uh, think about what you know about the Bible, and you'll see this idea of calling repeated over and over again. And the word that we'll bump into a whole lot uh, is a Greek word, it's kaleo. It's just a word that sounds like call. That's where we get the word call. And we understand that, that idea, this, this calling idea, but the Latin word, which is, uh, just lays right on top of the Greek one, sorry to get nerdy on you for a second, but is vocation, is the root for vocation, vocal, right? And, you know, we think of a vocation as something that you do, like your work. Like this, any of you, whatever your work is, that's like your vocation. But there's something much deeper about uh, 
the idea of calling and vocation that we as Christians need to grasp. If you're a believer in here, I'm trying to lay out for you like Paul does for Timothy in a moment. We're going to see this idea that our our vocation is also a calling. And our calling as Christians is something that overarches all of those things. Our vocation, our calling is not just something that we do on Sunday or sometimes or just being, you know, a, a parent or, you know, I work at this thing. But it, the calling of God in our life as a believer is also a vocation. It's, it's something that we're called to. And those two things, I think, fit together to help us understand a little bit about that. But there's another little nuance. when, you, If you were to look up being called in the Scripture, you'll see that it has an idea of being called, you know, into a vocation for God, but it also has an idea of what you are called. Something that you are called. You, when you are called something, right, even to, your, to the level of your name, that reflects something about who you are. So there's a calling aspect, but there's something where, where God says, you are now called. You are called this. You are called this. And that's something that uh, brings out the, the individual nuance of who you are as a believer. Called to something specific in the economy of God. So, uh, for instance, I go and I read once a month to the little kids at Paradise, which is, which is fun. They, they like to crawl on me. For some reason, I'm some kind of jungle gym. I don't know. So even one class, if you know Rebecca, Rebecca's class, they're like, they, she says, well, do you mind just getting down the floor so they can crawl on you for a minute? <laughs> no problem. Like a little mountain. They, and, but it never fails that one, one or two of the stories that I'll read to each of the classes will be a story about it's okay to be who you are, validating a child and who they are. Right, and you can think of, you know, one of my things is this Elmer book. You know, he's like a patchwork elephant, and he doesn't want to be himself because everybody else is gray. You know, so, you know, you've seen those stories. This, this is that kind of idea. But that resonates with us, especially as adults, because we realize we're all made different. We're all made to do different things, and God calls us as believers to different things, not to all be the same. Not to all be Ann Voskamp, if you're a woman, and you've read her stuff, you're like, why can't I be like her? Or why can't I be this great preacher? Or why can't I serve like that? Or why can't I be successful like that in ministry? What, you know, whatever it is that where you judge yourself. You know, we, we see this vocational calling idea as something that is, is about what you are called. In other words, you are unique in that thing. You are called that thing. And so you're, and you're able to uh, flourish in that for God. Here's another thing about a call that I think is really cool. If you look at the call... And, and I, I don't know if I can qualify this because I certainly didn't look at all of them. But God's call is one that he doesn't force upon us. Thus it's called a call. Right? And that's really cool to see. God is not making you do something. He's not making me do something. And that's unique to our understanding of who God is. He lays these things out before us. In fact, I would say it's like a... Uh, each of us comes to these thresholds of calling, these places where we're, we're at the doorway, and the doorway has been revealed, and a little bit of what's on the other side is revealed, and he's, he's calling us to step through into that new identity, that new step of who we are, the, the new step of obedience, or wherever it is. And I want to ask you guys, as, as we're all, you know, through this whole series, as we're talking about the idea of calling, what is that threshold that God is bringing you up to? Because he's been doing it in the Scripture forever. Uh, in fact, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to call this series, It's Your Call. 
okay? For a lot of reasons, it's a little bit of a play on words, but it is your call. God has called you individually, and it's your call because it's your decision what you're going to do about it. God doesn't force, isn't, you know, sometimes he makes it really obvious what we should do, but it's always a call to step over the threshold. So what are those thresholds in your life? What is the place that he's called you up to in following him? If you're a believer, if you're not a believer in here, just listen and get the idea. God is not, uh, following Jesus is not a static thing. It's just not static. It's dynamic. It's challenging. It's hard. It has great moments, but it's difficult. And it's always this, these doors that we're moving through. And You know, if you think about it, if you look back in your life as a believer, you'll see these thresholds that you did walk through. Some, some of us, it's just one big thing to follow Christ. But then others, it's there are more. And, and we need to be looking, for, you know, like Moses was looking when he, when he saw that notice that there was a fire. We need to be looking for that thing that calling to us. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at six women and six men in the Scripture uh, for the next few weeks to see the calling that they experienced. And hopefully we can identify with some of their stories. And, and, and grow from that and be challenged in the ways that we're like them and the ways that we're not. Today is Timothy, so we're going to put, it's just one verse that we're going to look at in the two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And it's 1 Timothy 6. So if you want to flip over there, if you got your Bible, or your phone, whatever you're looking on. It's uh, 1 Timothy 6.12 is the place that we're going to see and the, the guy that we're going to look at today. So who was Timothy? Just briefly, I'll give you a quick thumbnail of who this guy was. He had a Greek father, and he had a Jewish mother. A Jewish mother to marry a Greek guy was not a good idea. Okay, so there was this cultural thing that was going on in their family to start with. And his mother's name was Eunice, and you may have heard her pop up in the Bible. Paul mentions her a few times as a, a pillar. Obviously, she went from Judaism to Christianity, and she's someone who is leading in her way. But she has this son named Timothy. And Timothy is, is a protege of Paul. Paul apparently really liked Timothy. In six of his books, in six of his letters, uh, Timothy is in the introduction. So he's pretty important to Paul. He's his messenger. He's his sidekick. He's, you know, he's his friend. They hang out together. But, you know, I, I have to ask myself, whenever I look at somebody in the Bible, some story, I'm like, can I really relate to this person? I mean, come on. This is, this is like a pillar in the Bible. What do I have to do with this guy? And it's kind of cool because what you see in this case, especially with Timothy, is Paul's writing these letters to Timothy and encouraging him, right? And it doesn't say, hey, Timothy, you're really shy and reserved, so you need to be bold. We, we have to pick that up by reading the text and thinking about it. Because the reason Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, amp it up, dude, is because Timothy is a shy guy. Right? Why, why else would Paul need to say that? Why else would he encourage him to be bold, to go forward, to, you know, to not be ashamed of being a young guy. So, Timothy, though he is a pillar in the Scripture, is a normal person who is shy about what he is doing, who is reserved and needs to be encouraged. And for me, that resonates. Just like when that guy riding bikes along, how do, how do I know that I'm a Christian? What, what does it mean to know Jesus, God? Well, right then, I'm thinking, okay, how, how I'm, I'm supposed to know that, right? I'm, I like, work here. <laughs> At the same time, there's I'm I'm a, just a reserved person. I'm not like in your face, you know. 
I don't have all the answers just right here. And so it takes me a minute to, to, re- to get that stuff going and to, and to share with me. So Timothy resonates with me. Let's look at the passage together. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is the only place we're going to look at. So he says to Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. What he's saying is he's saying, take hold of the new life in Christ that you have. Take hold of that thing that is new. You are now, through faith, adopted into the family of God. And what he's going to do, and this is what I would like to do this morning, is just give each of us encouragement, the literal encouragement that, that Paul gives to Timothy, as he, just within this passage about living out that calling. So we, we've stepped across that threshold, but each of the, each of the points, these three points we're going to look at today, to me, are like thresholds that we cross. And here are the three points. One is to testify. That's a threshold. One is to take hold, and the other is to fight. And you'll see them in the passage. We're actually going to go to the bottom of the passage and work our way up. But look at it with me. Uh, fight the good fight. Take hold of the eternal life to which you have been called. Which you were called, and about which you made a good confession, or the good confession, in the presence of many witnesses. Now think about this for a second. Y'all. The most important things in our lives, we testify about. In other words, the most important things in our lives are public. When you start to like somebody, and you, the relationship starts to, you know, grow, and you, and you reciprocate, and, and you move into that, whatever, wherever that is, you want to talk about that. You remember an elf when he goes, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows about it. We talk about the things that are important in our lives. They're public. Right? Who we're married to, who, what we do. You can, you can come up with your list, but the things that are important in our lives are public. And if they're not, there's something wrong. Can you agree with me on that? If, if you like somebody and they like you and you're in a relationship, let's just put it at that. The kids aren't in here, right? But they're, they're there, and, and, and then you, you're going to hide it. That's weird. If you're married, you know, and you don't, you don't expose the fact that that is true, there's something going on. The same thing is with our relationship with Jesus. If that is the most important thing in our life, then it should be in some way, public, right? And I think that's one of the things that he's saying. When, when we have part of the call of embracing that, that thing that is, that is that, that eternal life in Christ is the testifying public nature of our faith. And, it, and he says right there, uh, you've made this good confession. So in our world, when you say, I'm going to confess something, it usually means you're going to tell somebody something you don't want to tell them, right? Yes? Okay, good. <laughs> like, Am I putting you to sleep already? Because <laughs> we've just got another minute or two. But uh, the idea of confession to us means I need to tell you something that I, you don't want to hear and I don't want to say. That's not what the word confession means right here. That's not what that means. What this means is to proclaim. What you did was you proclaimed, right? It's just a word that's used there. It's a, a nice translation from the original. 
But the idea is that you proclaimed it. You, you said this in public in front of many witnesses. And, and that's why baptism is such an important part of following Christ. You know, the idea of baptism resonates with us. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or been in the church or anything. When you see, if you see a picture of someone getting baptized, you understand that there's a bunch of symbolic meaning going on, right? Because this person's being dipped in this water in front of a bunch of people, and there's this idea of, like, being cleansed by the water, right? Of being a disciple of the person who's baptizing them, perhaps. There, uh, there's an idea of coming out of the water into life. All that stuff makes sense to us because we're all, you know, smart literarily, right? We, we can pick up those ideas without anything from the Bible in our history, in our knowledge. All of those things are true about baptism. Look at uh, Romans 6, 4. This is, he's talking about this idea of baptism. We're buried, therefore, with him, with Jesus, by baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ is ra- was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's what baptism symbolizes, what it does, among other things. And that's why I'm excited about the baptism we did last year. That was incredible. Because we had all of these families there, and many who are not believers, they're watching their children and their friends get baptized, making it public testimony. And when you do something privately in Crested Butte, it's public. When you do something publicly in Crested Butte, I, you, know, you might as well be in the newspaper. So we're going to do another baptism. No, August, I think it's 18th, down at the river, same place, down at the Crestview RV Resort, and uh, we're excited, picnic and the whole, you know, church shenanigans, okay, it's going to be awesome, and if you want to get baptized, be sure and, uh, and let us know, thank you, August 16th, in case you're actually marking your calendar right now, so if you would like to get baptized, we'd love to do that uh, with you and be a part of that. Uh, because that is a public testimony of your faith in Christ. And it's one of those thresholds that he calls us to step over. So there's this, uh, this public testimony, this, uh, this idea that we share publicly who we are. But there's this, the next thing he says, actually we're going to back up. He says, fight the good faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Take hold of this thing. And the, the word there is a really good one. It's like, it's like, hold on with tenacity. You know, this is, this is an unbreakable grip that you put on this thing that is this new life in Christ. You've got to hold, you know, we're, we all drift, right? Every one of us who's a believer is like, I'm so focused on God. And it's like the, the squirrel, and I mean the dog in that movie, you know, uh, up, right? Well, you know, we're, we're just out. We're out. And so he's saying, hold on tightly that and the, the image that pops into my head. Uh, and I thought of a few, but the one that kept resonating with me is, it's, uh, you know, bull riding? You know, uh, I don't know a lot about bull riding, but I've watched TV. And so, you know, a lot of what they show is this, this the effort of the, of the rider to get his hand down inside that, that grip. And his gloves all worn out and just right. You know what I'm talking about? You've seen that happen? You've seen it when just on that Sunday afternoon you're about to fall asleep and you landed on bull riding? And so... No offense, no offense to anybody who loves that stuff. And so 
he's, you know, they show how he's getting it all right in the knot and the, the whole rope is just right, you know, and, they, and they, finally he's ready to go. And I think there's this idea, you know, walking with Christ is going to be challenging. It is going to be hard. It, you're, that's why these thresholds come, and, and they're, they're like being bucked by this incredibly huge animal sometimes. But they say, hold on to it. Hold on. You know, have tenacity with that. It's easy to get distracted. To um, here, Here's another idea. We get so distracted with the temporal things of life. What's going to happen tonight? Tomorrow? What am I going to wear? Does my hair look okay? Am I, you know, I don't think about that too much, but some of us do. Uh, you know, did I get everything done? Is, is everything right? Is my is all the things that we get distracted with, and we forget the first thing I need to do is hold on to the new life I have in Christ. To hold on to the eternal, you know, rather than the temporal, which is going to be gone. You know, I was talking to Al just uh, the other day, and he said that, um, he said he was thinking about generosity and giving. And he said, you know, I, if, if I give, I'm, I'm giving away temporal things for eternal things. I'm not going to be able to hold on to this stuff. So he's, he's saying, what I want to do is hold on to the eternal thing tightly. But it's hard, especially when it comes to generosity for some of us. Okay, so there's this public testimony. There's this idea of taking hold of that uh, new life in Christ. And then finally, I love this word. It's right at the very beginning. It's the first one, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. So he's giving him these little statements. So fight the fight of faith. Take hold of that eternal life. They're almost the same thing. And, and, but that idea of fight is, it's, it's not static, right? It's moving forward. It has the athletic comp- connotation in the, in the original. It's like you're moving forward. It's, it's an intense word. You're going to fight. In other words, you're going to give 100%. You're going to have to go against the flow. I, I like that image in my mind, too. Our, our teachers, our community, our friends, our government, our media, everything is flowing against us as Christians. You know, and these things come up and like, oh, that's a really good point. Okay. You know, all this stuff, stuff comes at us. And Paul says, Timothy, fight. Go forward. It's going to be uphill. There's going to be times of joy, but it's going to be uphill. When, whenever you get knocked down, Timothy, get back up again. Things are going to happen. They're going to knock you down and put you on the ground. Get back up. It's worth it. This is one of those calls that, that we, we come up to that threshold and say, can I, can I step across it? Can I fight? But I think there's something that we, we should say. It comes out of actually verse 11. Um, going back one, I, I'm not going to put this one up for you, but it says that he tells, he, told, he tells Timothy what to fight for. He says, keep your eyes on these things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Let me read that list one more time. Keep your eyes on these things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. It's in verse 11. All of those things are good things. He says, put, put, your, put your sights on them. When the hard times come and you have to fight, what you're fighting for are these things. Um, and 
That's something that I think we need to embrace as a church and as believers. We need to be known for what we are for, not for what we are against. Okay? I'm gonna, I may hurt some feelings here, but I'm sorry if I do. I get emails sometimes that are very critical of different people, whether they're local or on us. There's a difference. It's, it's not wrong to be concerned. But it is not right to only talk about what we hate and who we dislike and what we disapprove of. We need to talk about what we are for. He doesn't say, you, you remember, we just talked about this in First Peter. God has put us in this place. Let's, these are the things we're after. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, justice, goodness, all of these things are good. The church, if we're known for what we hate, how many people are going to show up? I'm sorry, I could get on a bandstand on this, and I'm preaching to myself. I'm not convic- I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. It is, it is me too, because we like to differentiate ourselves by who we're not instead of who we are in Christ. And that will have an impact, not talking about what we don't like and who we don't like and how bad and evil they are. Okay? So we can embrace people of other denominations, of other political parties, of other sexual orientation or whatever because it's not about us, it's about Jesus. So having said that, there are things that we fight for. There is a threshold that we need to fight through. There is this idea of um, that, that God has said, let's bring this testimony before people. So this is a part of who we are. What is, what is public about you is the best thing of who you are. We need to make sure that those things are out there when we're talking about your life in Christ. So we need to take hold Take hold in a tough time and grip that and grip that thing tightly. So um, I hope that you will be thinking about these thresholds and you'll be ready to step over one, even like today or this week. So let me pray for us. And then I think that you're going to sing one song and close us out. Right. Father, thank you for a chance today to, uh, to just wrestle with your word a little bit. And I pray, God, that it's just not comfortable for us. God, I pray that our church would care like a boss in our town, in our world, that this place would be one that is known for the very best of who you are. God, and we'll let you take care of the other stuff. Um, you are sovereign, king, ruler, and good in all ways, so we trust you with that. Um, Lord, let us, uh, let us hear these words as a song. Let it uh, sink into our souls.